I am unashamed. Well, what about I guess you? This is podcast three without Al. He must be on a beach somewhere. You know, man needs still his, in the Bahamas. He needs his R and R. I'm just my problem with it was some kind journey. of song. He's a traveling man. Yeah, he is a traveling man. He's the type of person that he'll say, "I'm in." And then his next question will be, now where were we going? He's just ready to go. Yep. So, but you know, I've all, I've always said every family has a, has an odd duck. And I mean, you look at Al, he wears khakis and vests, bays regularly. He's usually clean shaven. He likes to go to beaches. I mean, he's just an odd fella. Yeah, odd duck. So, Zach, the duck report. Uh, I didn't want to go where we went today. And, uh, of course, at no time other than Jay Stone did I hear anybody say you were right. But we tried dog number two in in Phil's quest for a new dog. And Yeah, I, by the way, if, if that's I, I just thought about something. Way out there in computer land, there ought to be some guy somewhere that raises great, and I didn't say good, great Labrador retrievers. Well, that's the problem, Phil, though, the bars. So if anybody's so out there and you have a Labrador retriever that's that's good to go and he he can bring ducks back and place them in my hand, if you can do that without any yeah, 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 he just got it. The dog's got it. We just had Blue. He was a whiner, but a great great but he's the only great lab i've ever had so if any of you got a great lab get in touch with me my dog is pretty good biggin but the problem is if i bring him i have other responsibilities in the blind and it's just hard to work the dog and do everything else that's the main problem Biggin's not spectacular, but he's pretty good. But these yeah. first two dogs that we took he's, made, made Biggin look like a pro star. He really did. So uh, I usually take him a few times just when it's a small. He looked present. like a call up against Blue, but then well, from then on, it's been, oh, 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 Biggin's getting bigger bigger all the time. But it's just like anything in life. What causes quarrels and, and fights among you? Unmet expectations. When the bar is high, that's what causes all this chaos and griping. And so I'm just saying we need to lower. What do you say? Unmet, unmet unmet expectations. Do you remember what um, our good friend Mako and he used to say? I'll never forget this. That expectations are premeditated resentments. I thought that was pretty good. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Well, I'm sure someone's listening to this and they're saying, where are you getting that? So I'll read it. This is James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Yes. Here it is. You want something, but don't get it. That was just another way of saying your expectations or one thing, and you, the reality is another, and it causes bickering, yeah. fights, well, disappointment. Yeah, I gave a sermon Sunday morning on Colossians 3. Uh, think about things above, not on the earth. <clears throat> Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Rid yourselves of these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. I've never heard a text that is so succinct and so simply put. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices, which meant you did a lot of lying. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed 
in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's no Greek. There's no Jew, no circumcised, I'm sorry, all that junk, barbarian. This is a good idea. These were the rules of social media since you're not on social media. I just hear about it. Just think about this. If the rules of engagement on the Internet and social media were getting rid of these things. That's my point. That'd be good. It would be great. But the, look, uh, the human race takes this so lightly, but it causes so much difficulty and, and rage and mayhem and just, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I can't even watch the, 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 the pundits on, on the talk show, so uh, yeah. I, I can't do it. Zach, I haven't, mm. since the election, yeah, I've not turned they on seem, to one they, of them. They seem angry. They are angry. Well, it's... It, it's a culture of negation. It's like that's the, all, all we're doing is we're negating the opposite side, but nobody's coming forth with with a vision of what could be or what should be. It's just what's wrong with everybody else. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I turned it off too, Phil. I, I don't think it's healthy. You know? I, I just can't. Well, I and, can't do. It. I can't watch it. Yeah, I wish no, I could, but I can't do it. Yeah. Well, what did you study, Matthew twenty one? In preparation, for I studied this. Matthew twenty-one, and uh, you are my son, and uh, Zach is my nephew, my sister. That's where he burst forth. Well, it's Matthew so, twenty-one and twenty-two. Matthew twenty-one, and and Zach, I was telling Jace while ago. Do you know what I concluded? What's that? It's over my head. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, are you ready to talk about Matthew 22? It, it literally is over my he head. Said, I think that's over my head. You're not you know, gonna, we're not going to be married in heaven. We're going to be like the angels. Yeah, and yep, that's true. And if you go to a wedding, you better be dressed properly. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, I, wait a minute. They, they all didn't, they didn't want to go to the wedding. But then he said, well, just the king said, go out. And just get anybody off the street, good and bad, and just bring them in here. Yeah. Well, then some dude's standing over there, and he's not all decked out. But, you know, they're, they're trying to find some people to go to the man's wedding, the king's wedding. Yeah. Well, here's this dude, and he's not dressed properly. Well, you got these texts like in James, you know, you know, don't, don't, don't favor yeah. the, the fine-dressed pe- person. And I just looked at it, I said, and Jesus is doing the talking, and I said, I just have to admit, it's over my head. Well, let's start with the one in the end of 21. Let's take them one at a time. In verse 33, mine says the parable of the tenants. Is that what yours? The captions above the readings are not inspired. Just people put that there. Yeah, mine says the parable of the landowner. All right. Well, I I like that title better because it's really about the landowner. Which would you say the landowner represents the Almighty? All right. Absolutely. Listen to another parable. And and before I read this, you got to remember, we just had this about Jesus' authority being questioned. And I think the last podcast I pointed out about seven or eight times where that authority had come up in the previous chapters up until this point. Who do you think you are which they were question his authority and I, I i do think we never answered the question considering his authority when the chief priests and the elders came to him and said by what authority this is 21 23 are you doing these things and then he comes up with this illustration about well answer this John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or man? And they were caught with an unanswerable question So, because they were scared of the people. But if it was from heaven, why hadn't they done it? So they just said, we don't know, which is almost a miracle for teachers of the law and religious and academia. It, and, it, and it was on the say. borderline of being a lie. Yep. And then Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you about what authority I'm doing these things. But you know what the actual answer was in question his authority was that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. He's 
he represents God and man. That's why when he said, did it come from heaven or man? Well, here's a man asking that who did both. Yeah. He came from heaven and man. I think that was the underlying answer, which is something that, because it then comes up again. I think once you think about that, when you get to something like the parable of the tenants. I had not thought about that. I think that's the underlying theme in all. That's why I thought it was parables. over my head. Bro. I don't think it is. I think it that, may not be I over think your it's head. It's all about authority, and it's all about him being the bridge between God and man. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to have a powerful point by the time we get to the end. Go ahead, Zach. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's and it's not just about his authority. I think he's also making a a sub point, which maybe maybe not even be a sub point, but. He's also telling them that they're not under the authority of the one that they think they're under the authority of. They, they, because they, they keep in mind, he's talking to, to the Israelites, Jewish people, teachers of the law, Pharisees. So if you are to ask them, whose authority are you under? They're clearly going to say, oh, well, I'm under God's authority. And so he's, he's making this case here. All of this is making this case that no, you're, you're not actually under his authority, even back up to the parable of the two sons. After he had just talked about the uh, John the Baptist, he says in verse 32, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. The tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And after seeing this, did not even feel, you did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. So I think he's getting to this point. What he's trying to say is, like everything that you guys think you have a monopoly on, you don't. God is doing something bigger. God is doing yep. something different. And he's, he's bringing in all these other people that you never thought were going to be a part of this because they weren't Jewish. He's opening this thing up to everybody. Well, I agree. Which was his plan from the beginning. My point is, Good point. My point is in Matthew 4, right at, or in Matthew, at the end of Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized, God the Father declared him as his son and the Holy Spirit ascended on him. Now come later in Matthew 17, after they they're questioning who he is. We've already had this moment. There's no doubt. He's the son of God. He's, he's God in, in a human form. Well, then Matthew 17, he's then transfigured in front of his disciples with two, one dead guy and one who's died of, or left the earth under suspicious circumstances yep. they radiate light and then the same voice says the same thing but adds one caveat listen to him they're not listening because they don't think he has the authority for them to give their ears to they, 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 think haven't, he's just they some, haven't constructed him in their mind yet as being a human God. But, but he's actually God Son in flesh. Of God in flesh, right. Yeah, and I know that's true because when we get to the last paragraph in chapter 22, he then comes up, which we'll just hit it lightly here, when he says the Pharisees were gathered together and Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now he's speaking... Of himself. Yeah. The son of David, they replied. He said to him, which is technically right. Right? But then he says, well, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be a son? Hold on. Let's, let, let's take a quick break before you finish that thought. We all love to complain, and with complete incompetence of the federal government, there's plenty to complain about. But it's time to stop just complaining and do something, because the cavalry isn't coming. Joe Biden and his cronies in Congress will never limit their own power. Why would they? Unless we do something, nothing will ever change in Washington. It's up to regular folks like us to save the nation. 
Article 5 gives the state's authority to call a convention of states to propose amendments that limit the power of Washington, D.C., without needing the approval of Congress or the president. This is how we slap term limits on Congress, force the federal government to balance the budget, and get the government out of our daily lives. And there's not a single thing the feds can do to stop us. This movement is supported by names you know and love, like Glenn Beck, Governor Ron DeSantis, Mark Levin, and is led by Mark Meckler. Go to conventionofstates.com slash field today and sign the petition to demand that your state legislators vote yes to Convention of States. Stop complaining and do something. Visit conventionofstates.com slash field. Sign the petition today. That's conventionofstates.com slash field. What he did was he introduced the Trinity because they know there's only one God. That was one of the commandments. There's one God. Don't put other gods before me. Well, now all of a sudden he's like, this God has some personalities because I'm a son of God. Now he was the son of David, but he didn't stop and explain that. He just said, well, how come he said that? Because he's son of David and the son of God, which goes back to my point. On by what authority are you doing this? Well, tell me about John's baptism. Was it from heaven or men? Because he's both. Yeah. But they're not. And so this this seems to have the same thread running through it. And he, you notice it said it, it, he was speaking by the Spirit. So he actually introduced the idea that there is one God with three distinct, however you want to say that, three personality three, three, uh, three, three distinct persons yeah. uh, 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 three or as Bill Smith used to say three sinners of consciousness if you but if you look back at the um, Jesus's baptism you also see a picture of the triune God no doubt you see the the father you see the the son being baptized you see the spirit of God descending on him like a dove um, so even in the I mean that really is a, a perfect picture of of this triune God, which a lot of people think, well, okay, the Trinity, it, it's complicated. It's hard to, for us to get our mind around. I don't think God asks us to fully grasp his nature because we are in, we're, we're finite beings. We can't fully grasp an infinite being, but we can begin to ponder on the nature of who God is. And he is triune. And, and, and I would argue that it's essential for us to understand in the gospel to understand God's triune. Um, because we see in his very nature that God is love. You know, um, there was a question that I heard a theologian ask one time. He said, uh, to make the point about God being triune, he said, uh, he said what, who was God pouring out his wrath on before he creates anything? There's no angels, there's no humans, there's no creation. Who or what was God pouring his wrath out on when all that existed was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And the answer is pretty obvious. He wasn't pouring his wrath out on anybody because there wasn't any sin. Well, the next question is, he, he asks is, well, who was he lavishing mercy on before he creates anything? There's no humans, no angels, just Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who is God giving mercy to? And again, the answer is no one, because all that exists is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's no sin to have mercy on. Uh, who or what was God being sovereign over? Uh, sovereignty is another attribute of God that does, doesn't come into play until God creates. But ask this next question, he said, he said, who or what was God loving before he creates? And the answer is himself, because the Father was eternally loving his Son and the Son was eternally loving His Father, and the Spirit is the love between them. That's why 1 John 4, 8 is so important when we talk about the nature of God. When we say God's triune, what we mean is, is that God is love. That's what it means. That's what that means. And if you remove that, you really destroy the entire gospel. You destroy everything if God's not that kind of God. You know what I mean? Yeah. that makes sense? Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, I think 1 John 4 backs you up when it says, because a lot of people have asked me, through the years, what exactly does that mean? When it in first John four seven says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. So then he says, Well, this is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through. And this is the controversial or the dip more difficult to understand. 
This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Because people read that and they're like, but I do love God. It's like, but he showed you that 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 love originated with him, and then he showed it and expressed it. Now, it transformed you into the capacity of loving because it was defined by him, and then it was shown by him. Yeah, because he, it originates with him, and it ends with him. So when you ask the question, and this is a big question I ask, is why in the world did God make us? Like, why did God create us? And I don't think the answer is that he needed us to worship him because Acts 17 is pretty clear that God doesn't need our praise. God doesn't need us. So why did he create us? I think he created us because we were an overflow of his love. We were, God is a God of overflow. Even, even the concept of a son that's coming out of the father eternally, God's always pushing out and pouring out and going back to Matthew. And what I think Jesus is, is argument he's making here is these, um, the Pharisees or the nation of Israel, uh, which is synonymous with the vineyard and uh, verse in, in the parable of the landowner, they were wanting to consume everything for themselves. And they, they, they wanted that monopoly on salvation, on the patriarchs, on the law. Like they, they, they really thought it was something in them that gave them the status. And, and really what is going on here in these parables is Jesus is pretty much busting that whole mentality up. And he, what, he's, what he's showing is, is that he came to die for the sins of the world and that he is offering salvation to everybody, even outside, the, even outside yeah. of Israel. This is, well, let, I'm, I'm opening this thing up. You're right. Well, let me read it because, and, and just to make the point, the reason I like to, the name of it, the parable of the landowner, better than the parable of the tenants is based on what I just read in 1 John 4. Love, this is love for God. Not that we love God. It's not about the tenants as much as it is about the landowner. In this case, the landowner is God. He is the originator of love. So watch what it says. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And you say, why do we have all these details? Because I think the underlying point of that is that God has done everything. This is what we talked about last podcast that possible, that is possible to save mankind. He, this it's possible to what he's done everything possible to save mankind and bring them into a relationship with him because he owns the vineyard or, or let's say it's the, the earth and look at all these things that he has. And so then it says, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. So you have everything you need to to have good fruit here and to produce a crop. And what happened? When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit, which there's hundreds of passages about good fruit. You go back to the parable of the sower. This is the sign that your the results of your life have been transformed into God supplying the power in, in your relationship with him. So the tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. I mean, we can't even determine if if there's any fruit or not because we can't get it we, we set foot on the land and they kill you just just for being there then he's well, back back up hold on a second i, I want to clarify two things right. in this that the, the the when he talks about the vineyard um that's a reference to isaiah 5 exactly that is is clearly talking about the nation of israel and, and these slaves that were, the one was beaten and one was stoned, these are, these are the prophets. These are the prophets that came before Jesus that, the, that, the, that Israel rejected. So this, this story is not, just a, it's not just a parable. This is an yeah. indictment to say, you, 
God sent the prophets, and you and you and then the son. Obviously, we know. Go, you can continue exactly. That, we know well, who I the have son that is. written down too. And and the only difference in Isaiah five and Matthew twenty one is at the end of Matthew five, the vineyard is destroyed, and at the end of Matthew twenty one, it's given to another people, made available to another people, which we deduct that it was the Gentiles. Which, in my mind, my feeble mind, I think, well, in Isaiah, you have, I mean, the result of the law is basically sin and death. And, and you got to remember, these are, what do you call them, allegories, I guess? These are illustrations that he's just, you, you don't want to get hung up on the details so much in that you miss the overall point. Because I think Zach's right. We're we're getting to the end. Because some people did put their faith and trust in God from Israel, and so you're not. And even te some teachers of the law, and I'm sure some Pharisees, and throughout history. But he's just saying there's a general principle here. So then in verse thirty six, it says, "Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them." They'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out in the vineyard, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched inn, which I think, you got to remember, this is, there's not very, a long period of time before AD 70 happens and this destruction of Jerusalem and the temples torn down and all. So I do think there is a little bit of that in the prediction and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to him, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you let's, that the kingdom of God... Let's, uh, hold on, let's take a quick break. So it's that time of year, we like to say, tis the season, when people are looking for great gift ideas and uh, and different things to give to their loved ones. We know that uh, a lot of you guys out there in Unashamed Nation are always looking for some good uh, Unashamed merch. And so we want to let you know there's going to be a 20% off discount right now if you use the right code to be able to get some holiday items or just some items for yourself, which is always good. So you go to Phil Merch. P-H-I-L-M-E-R-C-H.com, PhilMerch.com. The promo code is UNASHAMED20. That's UNASHAMED20. It's going to get you 20% off. And so it's some really cool-looking Unashamed gear. Uh, thanks for you to give to someone just to say I love you and also support Unashamed Nation. So we love you guys. We're so glad uh, that you're out there and that you're with us. So uh, UNASHAMED20, PhilMerch.com. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom, in verse 43 of 21, will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet so to me it's basically a story about how they missed the signs and and the prophets and the prophecies that led should have led them to jesus being in front of them as the son of god the the king eternal but along the way for various reasons they missed it and so he's like, but you got to remember God's ultimate plan was that all Jew and Gentile would be saved. And it's still about God's grace, patience, love, mercy, and acceptance. Yeah, I, th I think that gives a lot of light uh, when you get into the book of Romans, you know, because there, there's some there's some very controversial passages in the book of Romans that I would rather not give my take on today just because I would want to 
spend more time on it. But I will say that when you get like to Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, and a lot of these passages that are highly um, contested and debated, I think that we that the understanding this grand narrative of redemption, particularly that God is opening up salvation to all men, is important in how we interpret the entire New Testament. Um, I think it speaks to the character of God when we think about a God who does want to save people um, and, and, and is offering salvation up to all people. So I get to this whole thing about this uh, vineyard. I mean, it's like it's almost like these parables in Matthew that what, what Jesus is doing, it's almost like he's kind of repeating the same argument over and over and over again, um, just in a different way with a different spin. Because when it gets to the whole uh, the, the, the wedding feast, he's like, I invited, I invited you people. And guess what? You didn't want to come. So what did I do? I went out and found other people. And it's, it's, it's each story is about one group of people who, who rejected God. They rejected the Messiah. They rejected Christ. And God says, okay, then I'm going to go find another people. And it reminds me of that um, C.S. Lewis quote where he said something to the effect of there's two kind of people in the world. Those who say to God, are, are those who uh, God said, or those who say to God, thy will be done. And then those to whom God says, all right, thy will be done. So God gives you what you want, but God wants the people that want to be with him. He wants the people that want to be in relationship with him. And it doesn't mean that God is bad. You know, a lot of people read verse 44 and they're like, well, that seems harsh because it says he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. But just think about it. If you just take something outside of what we're talking about, I mean, take gravity. The law of gravity is a positive thing. If we didn't have it on the earth, well, we'd just, we'd be floating around always trying, we'd have to try to grab hold of something. We, we couldn't function is what I'm saying. But And it's here whether you like it or acknowledge it or not, uh, it, you know, and say, boy, it's a great thing. And I'm comparing that to God's love. God's love is, it just, it is, it's here. But let's say you just say, well, you know what? I'm not going to acknowledge gravity. And you just go walk off a mountain. Well, you're fixed to get crushed. Step off a tall building. If if you don't acknowledge that as a real thing, you're going to get crushed. And it's not that gravity was bad. You just didn't respect it. And I think that's the way to look at the way God's plan was woven. He wants everyone to be in. So that's why I said in generality, there was always a remnant of believers in each civilization. I mean, it it was just one little remnant in Noah's day, but there's always been people who believe. There's a and there's a remnant here too. I mean Romans nine says that pretty clear that there's a remnant. There is a group of of Israel that that stayed faithful and that and that are part of the new Israel, and so I would say that when like this when he gives the kingdom over to another people and he said I'm taking it from one and giving to another here, uh, I don't think that that's all people. I think it's offered to all people, but I think he's talking about um, in verse forty three. I I think he's talking about taking the kingdom away from Israel and handing it to the church. Uh, we are the kingdom now. We talk about this all the time. So the kingdom may be offered to you, but you may not you may not receive it. And only those who receive the kingdom are in the kingdom and possess the kingdom. So I think it's I think he's talking about the establishment here of his church that's going to happen, you know, in Acts chapter two. Um, but you know, but as, receiving, as yeah. But receiving in light of that, he. He made it available. It's kind of like going back to the love thing. It's not that we love him. It's that he loved us. Because I, I yeah. think he gets to that next point in the wedding. And and I guess we can just read it. But I had to, I was like, Phil, when I first read this, I was like, what does this mean? But I focused on 14 and then worked my way backwards. You know, twenty two fourteen says many are invited, but few are chosen. So I thought. Well, that's his point. So now let's back up and see how he made that point. 
And so he says the kingdom of heaven, verse two, is like... And it rides on the truism that uh, he, at the least, you better respect him. Well, right. You you better have respect for him. Kind of with my gravity illustration. Who he is, what he's done, what he's now doing, the mediating work from heaven, and what he will do to come back and raise the dead. Yeah, if you if you yeah. choose not to respect him and love him, don't you know? Don't blame him. That's right. I mean, that's why we went through the precedent of from fulfilled prophecy, from having the Bible here today for anybody to read in any language. I think that there is from having creation itself and the detail, all the evidences there pointing to what he did and who he is, and and how that ties in with Scripture and prophecy and things. If written. you looked at the rehabs being full, the prisons being full, and all of this, the, the self-induced lies and concoctions on what human beings do, and it's all you can go back. They do not believe Jesus is who he said he was. You yeah, can, I agree. Well, I think you just see in life there's a sense of good and they're evil. They're thinking he's not there. But there's a sense of good and evil. And people who don't acknowledge that there is a God who's 100% good and that there is evil that is separated from God, well, I just and see that in everyday you, life. I've come to give you life and immortality. Yeah. So why is it like that though? Why is why do we see that in every avenue of human behavior? It goes trickles down into our movies and everything's based on good and evil. Yep. And you have a Bible and you read it and you're like, well, how do these forty one guys put all this stuff together over thousands of years? And yeah. it seems to be there's a God reaching out to humanity through history with a lot of evidence. And and a lot of things about creation that is really too too incredible, just to come from nowhere. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a quick break before you get into the parable of the marriage feast. All right. So in verse two, they prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So then he sent some more servants and said, well, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. And so then he went on the menu. Oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. So it wasn't like these were negative things. They were just busy and comfortable. A lot. It made me think of modern-day life. I mean, Me too. Really, yeah. people get more just distracted doing their own thing than just being a thug. But then he addresses the thugs next. The rest seized the servants mistreated them, and killed them. I mean, all they were doing was inviting them to a wedding banquet. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So that turned out to be a bad bad move for them. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the street and gathered all people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, time hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. So in my feeble mind, I put it down into three categories. 
I put you have the busy, those in the routine and the comfortable who didn't acknowledge the wedding as something spectacular. They they had no interest. Then you got the thugs, but then you had the people who actually came, which was a positive. But then you had poster imposters or an imposter from within who actually showed up and whether he didn't have any clothes on, which to me would have made more sense. I mean, that would have been a wait a minute here or he didn't have the right clothes on. You know, I think about that Galatians three when we're those of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. It's like gives you an image of you putting on the clothes in marriage to Christ. So that's my take. What say you? I agree. I think that's it. I think that's what's going on here. And, you know, I think that when you get to that last verse, for many are called, but few are chosen, um, it, is, it, it, it can be confusing because when you get to Romans 8, you know, it talks about uh, those who he called, he justified. And, and But then you have picture here of people that were called but may not necessarily have been chosen. Um, and I, I think the, the point, again, though, that he's making is, is more of this meta thing to Israel that, to say, you, you rejected me. You rejected the prophets. You rejected John the Baptist. You rejected the son who became the the stone that you stumbled over, which is the quote out of Isaiah that we've been bringing up, the stone which the builders rejected. This, What he's saying is, that, that I love this, that the stone that you rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this came from the Lord. So the, the very thing that you rejected is the thing that the whole thing is being built on, which is not a thing at all. It's a person whose name is Jesus Christ, who is the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God. And he's opening up. He's calling people into this. I think, again, it goes to show God's character. God wants his people, and he's going to relentlessly go after us. I think, to your point, Jace, what we got to remember above all, though, is that all of it initiated was initiated by the king. So the people didn't say, hey, I want to come to the wedding. No, the king invites them. The king calls them. The king initiates and then those who receive that, that's just a response. So we don't have any claim to anything when we're at, find ourselves at the wedding feast. All we can really do is just say, I was invited. I put the clothes on. I accepted the invitation. And I'm just grateful to be here. Well, it, it kind of goes back where he laid the groundwork for this is Matthew chapter 7 when we went over that. Ask and it will be given to you. That's in 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, seek and you will find that they, they weren't interested in that by not showing up at the wedding. Knock and the door will be open to you. They said, no, I got other things to do. For everyone who asks receives, and I got something on my mind other than the king and what he's given, get, given right here. Got good grub. Everything's laid out. To him who knocks, the door will be open. So he talks a little bit in everything. It's amazing that this goes down in there. Do to others what you would have them do to you, which is being fulfilled with the wedding, God being gracious, offering you a free trip and plenty of good grub. Enter through the narrow gate, and then he begins to go about what happens in the wedding. Although in the wedding, many are invited but few are chosen because enter the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And that's where they were headed. They weren't chosen. They, they weren't in, into this and many entered through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. He did say, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Better make sure the King is who he says he is. It's amazing. how yeah. all these start to tie together. Yeah. Well, I'm understanding it better listening to you, young bucks. <laughs> I think we got to remember, like, what's like, because I, I keep thinking about what's it, what does this mean for us? And I think it means a lot of things. But one thing I think it means is that I don't want to be on the side of, of the Pharisee. I don't want to be one of the ones that think that I'm arbitrarily chosen by God and, and, 
and I think I'm in some kind of exclusive monopoly thing. Like I want to, I, I want to be, I want to be one of the ones that gets invited. I don't want to be one of the ones that that's claiming it when I don't deserve it. Say so I, I deserve to be here. I'm that. I'm this. I'm that. Here's my credentials. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I want to be the guy that gets invited to the wedding and, and says, I'm coming. I'm in. No, yeah. I agree. I remember talking to this guy, uh, you know, who was trying to help people who who were being trafficked. You know, they were human trafficking, and, and they would go to different countries and risk their life. And uh, But I remember him saying a couple points, and one of them is because they had hemmed up a guy, you know, the, called a guy who was – one of the higher ups in, in doing this. And, uh, Hey Jace, before you, before you finish that story, let's take our last break. And what he told the, you know, the, the believer, the brother in Christ, who's trying to help these, in this case, it was these women that they were trafficking. I wrote this quote down when he said it, because he was saying, this is so big what we're doing out here and you're trying to stop this. But he said, you're just some guy standing on a rock in the middle of a sea. And when he was telling me that story, I thought, you know, it sounds like what we as Christians are doing. You know, when he said he was the chief cornerstone, because the world seems so angry and so bad. And it just seems like, we're nothing and we're a small group and what can we do? But when you talk about the rock that you're standing on and Jesus using that illustration in Matthew and now using this wet, this picture of a wedding, well, what, what was he talking about? I, I agree with Zach. When he introduced the church, when Peter said in Matthew 16, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he's like, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And he introduces then the, the church, he uses the kingdom and church synonymously there. Yep. Well, when I think of the wedding, I immediately go to Ephesians, you know, where he had this illustration about the famous passage where wives and husbands go to try to repair their marriage or see what God wants from them. But he gets to the end of chapter five and he said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know, we're the, as, as members of the church, we're the bride of Christ. And when you back up in Ephesians, and I wanted to read this because I think the powerful part of being married to Jesus comes from what he said in Ephesians 2:19 where it says you're no longer foreigners and aliens. It's it doesn't matter what country you're from. In, in these illustrations he's talking about, yes, God came to Israel first. But we're going to go find some other people because, in general, that was rejected. But he comes all the way fast forward to being married to Jesus and being part of the church. He's like, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which he just used as an illustration that you didn't listen to, that you killed one right after another. With Christ Jesus himself... As the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. And to go back to why I brought that up about the illustration, yeah, the world may treat us like we're just some guy standing on a rock in the middle of a sea. But when you read that, you think, Oh, there's a lot of us standing on the rock being built together in the presence of God with his spirit, which makes us way more powerful <laughs> than whatever's going on out here, you know. Yeah. But then yeah. another thing he told me about in that trafficking situation was that a lot of people that they would go in and rescue, some of them were so scared, had been abused so bad and was so terrified, they wouldn't they didn't even believe that they were being rescued. It's like they didn't want to go. And, you know, the psychologically, because of fear and a, abuse that had happened to them, he said it was telling to me, because you would think they're sitting here like saying, save me, but some of them 
they just weren't even acknowledging our presence. And, uh, and he used it as an illustration to say a lot of people, here's God's love, here's God's way of hope, what he did in Jesus. But some people, for whatever reason, because the circumstances, it's right there as a way to start over and to be saved and to get out of this situation. And they just don't, they don't. On our, on our next podcast, we'll read where the Pharisees said, we got some more cards to play and they play the old political card because if you are who you say you are, you're claiming to be greater and more powerful than Caesar. And they goes over, tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So now well, that's gonna, a good teaser. That's yeah, a good teaser for yeah, our next. Next next time we'll discuss that. Yeah, make sure you guys come back for that. I will say one last thing before we close out too. The the irony of the whole parable of the landowner is that the motivation that that these the tenants had was what they they said. Let's kill the son so, so that we can get his inheritance. Yeah. The irony is, is that if they would submit to the son, guess what they would get? His inheritance. We get, we inherit what Christ has because we are his brothers. And, so that, and what does he have? Oh, what uh, is he? He's got, he, he's got the, pre, he, he, he brings us into the presence of God, the father. Yeah. He dwells with God. And that's what he offers us is we get to do that for eternity. So it's not just, a, it's not just eternal life. It's eternal life with God. But, uh, yeah, I just want to remind everybody too. make sure that you go check out our Substack, and that it can be found online at philrobertson.substack.com. It's philrobertson.substack.com. And what we're going to do there is we have our weekly blogs at Phil Rice. We also are releasing a couple chapters for free of his upcoming book, Uncanceled. You guys definitely want to get in on that. It's totally free for you. you go and sign up on the email you'll get a, a, a reminder every week when we post something. And it's just really for our community of people that want to get behind what Bill's doing, want to know what, what, what he's working on. It's really kind of more for our intimate audience. So you guys go check it out. That's philrobertson.substack.com. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.